Today, the titan of entrepreneurship, Matt Berry, joins us once again. While we're focusing on his acquisition of freelancer.com and his strategy surrounding that, we also discuss how to build a moat around your business, macro trends, how to follow them and why, and the best marketing dollars Matt ever spent. Enjoy the show. First, serious about online trading? Secure your funds, keep your merchandise safe, and use a company that keeps the buyer and seller protected the whole way through. That's escrow.com. Payments you can trust. FD was built by domain investors to increase your inquiries, sales, and profit. Forget spreadsheets and archived emails. Manage your entire investment portfolio in one place using a secure and completely confidential platform. Learn more at ft.com. That's E-F-T-Y, ft.com. Hey, Sherpa Network. I'm Tess Diaz, executive producer of DomainSherpa.com. And today we have a brilliant entrepreneur and experienced executive in a much larger space than the domain space who has come and joined us as CEO of escrow.com. Hello, Matt Barry. How are you today? Hi, thanks for having me. Delighted to have you joining us from Sydney and Andrew Rosner, CEO of MediaOptions.com. Hello. Hello. Hi, Matt. How are you going? I'm doing great. I think we couldn't have picked uh, three people in more distant locations. We've got West Coast, <laughs> West, West Coast Europe, and uh, East Coast Australia. Correct. <laughs> we're we're well, going we global. <laughs> we made it happen. <laughs> the sun is rising here in Phoenix. I see it setting in Sydney. Beautiful background, Matt. Mm -hmm. And you're in the escrow and freelancer shared office space in Sydney. Is that correct? Correct. This is the headquarters for the France Limited Group. Very nice. So um, you started out as CEO of freelancer before acquiring escrow. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, the Francis Group has actually acquired 23 companies. Um, 15, 15 of them were actually direct competitors of Freelancer. Uh, ironically, I purchased a lot of uh, those businesses actually through escrow.com before I even owned it. And then uh, end of 2015, we acquired escrow.com. How did escrow come to be on your radar to acquire? Well, I used the website and I liked it. And uh, I was looking to get into the payments industry for a variety of reasons. And um, I just have a habit of when I use a website I like, asking if I'd like to sell it to me and you never know what will happen. And in this case, I mean, I thought it was actually a, a large financial institution. I mean, I had two point something billion dollars worth of payment volume at that point in time, um, clicking over on the, on the, on the homepage. And I thought it was just some sort of Silicon Valley bank or, or, you know, institution of some sort. And um, I was actually remarkably surprised when uh, they said, actually it is for sale. Uh, if you're interested in looking at the deck, uh, we can send it to you. And so um, I looked at it and I thought, wow, this is phenomenal. And I, I bought the business. Wow. Do you think your um, assumption that it was a large financial institution, was it all connected to the domain name escrow.com? Um, well, certainly I think that's where the, I mean, the, the amazing thing was, I mean, this was a business that was running for 20 years before we acquired it. I mean, it was started by almost 20 years. It started by Fidelity uh, in 1999 and um, yeah. SoftBank. Uh, and others put in, I think, about $40 million US dollars into it uh, back then. And obviously, it was very, very early days on the internet um, uh, in terms of being able to buy and sell things. Um, it was a great idea, but it was just, you know, back when the internet had 50 million people on it. And um, 
you know, it was stuck inside a, you know, a large uh, corporate for many, 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 many years. And, um, you know, I, I think that the, the fact it looked like a financial institution is probably the reason why all the Silicon Valley venture capitalists missed it, right? They probably yeah. just didn't realize that, 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 that this was a, a business that could be financed and, uh, and taken to the next level. So I was quite lucky to, um, to have acquired it. Lucky and smart, you just asked. Um, and developing that habit of reaching out and asking makes a difference, eh? It does. You never know if you never ask. Um, so that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about um, the acquisition process with escrow. So you reached out. It was already for sale. Uh, what incredible timing. Well, it been, well, yeah, I've mean, been for sale for actually many, many, many years. So there was actually yeah. a, co a corporate advisor who had the, the business for sale. Um, and in fact, I actually saw many iterations of the pitch deck that had different uh, investment banks logos on it. I think at one point it was Solon Smith Barney and then it went through, I think it was Citibank at one point and then, uh, then the Capstone. And I mean, I, I don't know how many years it, it, the broker had had it for, the advisor had, had it for, but um, I, was, I was very surprised to, to, to see that it was for sale and I was, I was lucky to purchase it. So, What were the negotiations? I think what was interesting like? was they were, they were shopping and you're right. It was on the market uh, sort of, quite passively, I would say, uh, for years. Mm. And what was interesting is that they'd never shopped it to anybody in the domain industry. And for kind of obvious reasons, like, we, you know, you hate to let your customers know that you're out there trying to sell your business. Uh, yeah. But it's like the most obvious buyers were in the industry. And they, you know, and if you ask, because uh, I asked multiple times, no, we're no business in for sale. And, um, Oh, really? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I think you know, in the end, you, you stole that business. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting based, business. What do you it's mean? A good acquisition. Based on the price that he paid? Uh, well, the price he paid isn't public, I don't believe. Um, it is but, actually public. It is public because it's in my financial results. I have to, we have to uh, follow these things. Yeah. Lay, exactly. lay it on us, Matt. What, what did you acquire escrow.com for? Uh, 7.1 million US after adjustments. Yeah. Very good. Well, congratulations. And how did the negotiations go? Can, what can you tell us about them? Besides that it had been on the market for a long time. Um, did you know, did they present that visibly? I mean, verbally, or did you only notice it as you saw the pitch deck iterations? Well, I noticed it from the pitch deck when it had a logo of an investment bank that was not where the person who was brokering it was working. <laughs> <laughs> I check file properties and it's, I think it said like, uh, I can't remember what data what it was for sale But I mean, I mean, it's a complicated, it's a complicated business, obviously. It's, it's a regulated business. So you have to get regulatory approval in order to acquire these businesses, which requires quite a lot of work and quite a lot of effort. So it is a difficult business to buy. Not everyone could actually buy it. And um, it was really only because I had the freelancer group behind me and we have a whole compliance team and um, CFOs group, et cetera, that we managed to, to buy the business. We were trying to do it, um, you know, as I think a domainer, I think it'll be actually quite difficult because of the yeah. resources that's required. I mean, this is a business that you know, it makes slim margins. I mean, last year it did about 570.6 million uh, worth of transaction volume, but the, the, the margins are about 1.3 to 1.4%. So yeah. as a result, um, you know, you, you, for a long time, Fidelity was carrying it. Um, now to the point where it's profitable and uh, you know, it's growing very strongly in the first quarter, it grew 45% year on year in terms of the volume. But um, you know, it, 
does need a fair bit of infrastructure, particularly particularly around compliance, around AML, um, uh, you know, anti-money laundering, uh, um, and verifications and security. That really means that you, you really should have a bigger organization kind of supporting it. So we're kind of lucky that we have the transit group also to do that. And the experience, uh, because this isn't the first company you've acquired like this, right? Uh, it's the first company that's acquired that's regu regulated like this, and let me tell yeah. you, it's 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 not an easy business to run uh, a regulated business. There's a there's a lot of work you got to do. Um, you know, in the United Which States, is why innovation in payments has lagged so much. Well, it's just I mean, impossible to. So I mean, it's a money transmission business, effectively, or escrow business in some yeah. states. And so in the U.S., it's state by state licensing. Um, so there's 50 states, four states don't require licensing, six territories, you need 52 financial services licenses to operate. And um, each of those licenses, I need to be fingerprinted, palm printed, arm printed. I didn't know this was a thing. Uh, my days of Cat Burberry and Nevada Rover. Uh, you know, uh, you, you have to upload a balance sheet of my assets, um, uh, criminal background checks, um, have to do this in um, you know, 52 times. Um, uh, we... Uh, you know, I have to do this for uh, the directors of the company. I've got a non-executive director who uh, is a, just an investor because he owns more than 5% of the business. Um, he has to do it. His wife has to do it, um, which is strange. Oh. Um, and then you've got all the laws you've got to deal with in terms of how, how, how that all works. So, for example, in California, they require you to have an escrow manager um, do the approvals. So, you need to have a, you know, office in California, obviously. Uh, you're not allowed to collect interest on um, the money you hold in accounts. Uh, that's a kind of a, a bit of a misnomer. Some people think you can do that, but you can't. With the exception of Arizona, where you can do it, but you, and then you have to offer it to the uh, to the to the customer if they want to collect interest uh, and pay it. Um, you know, Washington requires you to have separate trust accounts. Um, you know, all the laws are kind of same, same, but a little bit different. And um, you know, you have to be regulatory, re re regularly audited by the regulators, and so you'll get you know, knock at the door. Hi, we're North Carolina. Okay, come in. Uh, how many customers do we have in North Carolina? I'm not sure. And they kind of sit down and they you know, uh -huh. audit. So we're, we're being audited continually. Um, so that requires, you know, obviously a sophisticated compliance team to be able to um, go through all that. Um, and, you know, that's just the United States, right? You know, in yeah. Australia, we, we had to get an Australian financial services license, which also was, was, was um, relatively complicated. In Australia, you have like this circular thing where um, to have a financial services license, you need to have a you know, set of responsible managers where a responsible manager has worked with another licensee as a responsible manager previously. So it's a little bit of catch-22 um, for the most part. We're lucky because our head of compliance actually was um, head of compliance for PayPal in, um, in Australia for, for uh, 2005, 2012, and actually wrote the prudential regulation for, uh, for them um, uh, that the government used to license PayPal in Australia. Um, as, a, as a prudential um, uh, business. So there's a lot of work behind the scenes that has to, has to happen in order to, to, to operate this sort of business. Um, and this which, is one of your 23 companies. That's incredible, Matt. Well I, well, I only have five now that are operating. The rest I've merged in because they're direct competitors. So there were about 15 competitors of freelancer, which I, which I merged in, uh, into each other. Uh, and then you know, there's five, five businesses. So. And then how did escrow integrate into Freelancer? Um, what was your vision for that when you bought it? And how yeah. has that developed over time? Well, the reason why I bought the business um, was a couple of reasons. Um, the first was that um, marketplaces I saw in the future are increasingly being regulated like payments businesses. Um, and certainly, I mean, I, I could say that the defining characteristic of 2019, 2018 has been the regulation that's coming to the technology industry is extreme. Right, it really is extreme. Um, 
you've got a three-way trade war with Europe, US, and China. Uh, so Europe will find Apple, you know, 14 billion euros. Um, and then Deutsche Bank gets fined by the US, $9 billion, uh, I think it was. And backwards and forwards, so the EU launches GDPR, which is, you know, targeted squarely at um, Google and Facebook. Um, and then they launch uh, VAT on digital downloads um, in 28 jurisdictions in Europe. Of course, all the jurisdictions have different um, different tax rates, which is, you know, you'll think in the European Union that the whole point was to harmonise these sort of things, but they don't. And uh, then, you know, California is now coming out with a GDPR on steroids, uh, et cetera, and so forth. So there's always all this stuff that's happening, but certainly with marketplaces, I could just have a feeling that marketplaces are kind of quasi-payment systems because money goes in and money goes out to third parties. Yeah. And in fact, there's a bunch of marketplaces actually that are operating on domain space kind of like payment systems, right? Like the, like the big, uh, the big um, marketplaces like Yosito and your Afternix and what have you, they kind of are functioning like payment systems, right? And so regulation is going is to is come in a big way into marketplaces. And it's certain, certainly we're seeing that in um, Europe, for example, there's a thing called PSD2, which is the Payment Services Directive 2, where marketplaces now can no longer collect a payment unless you have a license. Um, so you, uh, you, you can't actually- and Is that pay. license the same as a money transfer license? Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you have to be, you have to be a money transmitter, basically, or the equivalent in Europe. Is, it, is this why eBay? You think? Do you think they had the foresight to buy PayPal? Do you think that was the one of the reasons, or do you think it was just a? a... It's. I think it's one of the reasons. I think then yeah. they were mad to spin it out. Um, yeah. I think it's. I think it's just nuts because now they're building a payment system again, right? So yeah, um, I've never understood like, that. Like I, I don't know what happened. Just a market um, cap thing. They were just like, let's. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Um, uh, anyway, the the flip side of that is. Um, uh, strategically, you want to own the customer all the way to the payment. So, you know, we were getting um, freelancers sign up in India. They'll um, do a website for someone. They'll get $200. They go to withdraw it. Oh, gee, I've got to open a PayPal account. So every one of our customers was being leaked into um, basically uh, eBay. Um, yeah. And eBay was trying to enter our space, I think, about three or four or maybe five times um, with various marketplaces for jobs. So, um, and partnerships with competitors and so forth. So we just didn't want to leak that customer data out. So we just thought, I thought to myself, I had to get a payment system somehow. Um, so I basically uh, was always on the lookout. And the problem is, it's just so hard to start these things from scratch. Um, you know, that's why the, the, the landscape really is, it's just a tough, from a competitive perspective, um, to enter the payment space. Because number one, you can't survive in a payment with a payments company unless you have a captive marketplace like eBay and PayPal, right? You feed off it, right? I mean, in fact, the whole, mm -hmm. there's a fascinating book called The PayPal Wars, which talks about um, yeah. how, you know, PayPal tried, um, Peter Thiel tried diversifying away from eBay any way he could. Like he tried uh, gambling, he tried, you know, I think he tried porn at one point. You know, like any, any, any part of the, the, the market you could, you could get into to try and get volume for payments. And he just couldn't diversify away from eBay, you know, and, and then at some point eBay was like, well, we have to kind of buy this business because it does, you know, I think like 30% of our transactions, you know, and otherwise we're leaking all our customer data. It's a, the payments business. So they had, just had to come together. So um, for some time I was kind of looking for how I'd do that. The problem is that, you know, when you have to get state by state licensing, um, I think the wait time in New York is about two years. Uh, and that's only if you have, a and that's only if you have volume and, and, and if you have volume and, um, you know, a priori, they're probably going to find you, right? And and you might not get a license, so you get you'll be very careful uh, in in sort of circumstances. So and it's very it's very 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 tough. And and you know if you're making only one and a half percent, you know you need seventy million bucks of volume to make a million dollars, right? So yeah. it's just very 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 tough business to get going yeah. and get started. Now, Matt, so, I heard you describe freelancer as the eBay of freelance work services. 
um, did eBay's acquisition, uh, like give me this in a timeline, did eBay's acquisition of PayPal inspire you to want a payment service or was it just your use of it or a combination? Because um, in the very beginning, you just said, oh, I was using escrow all the time, so I bought it. But it sounds like a lot um, more, more went into it than just that. No, I had a plan to buy a payments business. I had, I had a plan you know, for a very, very, very long time to buy a payments business. And um, when I looked at escrow, I, just, I was just surprised to know that I could buy it. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was looking everywhere for like maybe like bust payment business, maybe that had kind of run out of money um, if I had licensing um, and you know just it was just I was just lucky very 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 lucky yeah you really were um, yeah. did so did eBay's acquisition of um, PayPal where did that play into all this well that happened many years before yeah, um, that happened, really yeah a long 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 time before but certainly I did look at the global marketplaces of products and they've all got payments businesses you know whether you're talking Amazon Amazon payments um, Google has got its own payments business Facebook's now launching apparently global coin uh, and so forth. So, um, you know, there's reasons why these marketplaces have payments uh, businesses. You want to own the customer all the way down to the, the, the payment, basically. Yeah. Um, so integrating that into freelancer sounds like it must have been much easier than just the actual acquisition itself and all the licensing involved. Um, what, what was that transition like? Because did you already send all your customers through? Escrow? Well, we have actually we actually haven't integrated yet. We're in the process of doing that right now, as as we speak. Um, you know, uh, as I said before, uh, in Europe, uh, there's now um, a directive that um, payments have to go through a um, licensed payments business, and also mm -hmm. California, the direct Department of Business Oversight, also is forming a view now, uh, correct or incorrectly, but um, they're the regulator that. Um, you have to have an escrow license to be able to take a payment as a marketplace. So we have basically um, now uh, integrated uh, escrow into um, Freelancer and it's about to go live in the next month, basically. Hmm. And how much has Freelancer increased the business of escrow? I know you were so very data driven. Um, what do you see there? What percentage of the business does that grow for you? Um, I'm not sure about the well, in terms of the volume, once the, once the France volume goes through, well, we'll, we'll, we'll be putting a, a large amount of payments through. But I mean, you know, you'll remember also escrow does, a, does process a huge amount of volume already. Uh, yeah. And that's growing quite strongly. So, you know, it, 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 it can produce a bit, um, but um, really it's, there's going to be some advantages from having a sort of a unified account that spans across all our, all our properties and um, all the things you've got to do with that. You know, if you've got a payment method and you've got a, you know, things you can hire, hire people to do various things, it will give a lot of convenience to people. Yeah, very so much. Would that, be like a, would that be a very deep integration, meaning like, do I single sign on with escrow? That'll be the same account I've got for freelancer. Yeah, ultimately, yes. Yeah. We've been working on this for some time, so yeah, uh, you know that's not going to happen initially in the next month, but that's that's the next stage after we launch it. Okay, um, so let's talk about market differentiation for escrow.com. Um, what are some of the complex issues and risks that users likely aren't aware of? Because even all this, you know, regulation and arm print, I've never heard of. Um, Right. It's so complex on the back end, but for users, what are they not aware of, but they should be when they're choosing an escrow company? Well, no one's licensed other than us, right? Um, you know, if you look out in the space, um, all the other companies that exist, the small ones, they're all shutting down. 
because they will have one license basically, if that. Um, so, you know, Pioneer tried entering the space. So they, um, they had a good two years of it and they were probably um, a company that could have had the best shot at trying to compete in the space simply because they did have a, um, a financial services business in um, debit cards. Um, uh, so they could probably prepay debit cards that people can withdraw money from like Airbnb. And uh, we used to use Pioneer as well uh, until they entered the escrow space. They had two years at it and they gave up. Uh, you yeah. know, um, PaySafe escrow just gave up, right? So they've, they've stopped business now. Um, and that happened only about uh, one or two months ago. Um, there's plenty more that are just going to shut down one by one by one because you need to be licensed. It's as simple as that. Um, right. the, 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 the law's the law. And um, there's a reason why um, uh, you know, the laws are set up is because you're dealing with very large sums of money, uh, potentially millions of dollars in the transaction. And you can't have that money sitting in the general operating account of the business, right? It's got to be yeah. in trust and it's got to be uh, under a certain level of prudential control. And, um, you know, there are a couple of escrow companies floating around, particularly in the domain space that don't do that. And your money yeah. just sits on the balance sheet. And if they can't pay out, you know, something else, it may be that your money for your escrow gets, gets used, yeah. right? Wages, and, insurance, whatever. Yeah. Which is, a, for me, before I even understood the regulatory framework that, that surrounds escrow, which I've become somewhat familiar with because of the volume of transactions we're doing with you guys, um, and all the, you know, the various companies worldwide that are, you know, always asking, okay, so why am I protected? How does this work? Well, you know, mm -hmm. and people that, that, that aren't familiar with escrow when, when we're, you know, there's a lot of education that goes into it, uh, yeah. uh, onboarding a customer. But what always made sense to me was that like, if I'm doing a transaction with some, you know, third party platform, whatever, and that company goes, some of these transactions take a long time from start to finish. Sometimes these, yeah. these closing cycles can be, sometimes it can be, you know, a couple of hours. Sometimes it can be literally uh, years. So, yeah. so long as that money is sitting there, uh, if that company goes bankrupt, if that company gets sued, if uh, there's a judgment against them, you, there's nothing you can do. I mean, th those funds are totally attached to that company's operating business. And, yeah. um, I, very few people realize that. I mean, it, right. it's like nobody prices that into the fact, you know, into the equation. It's like, well, you know, these guys are one percent cheaper, or, you know, or a half a point yeah. cheaper, a couple of basis points cheaper, whatever. Or they, yeah. you know, I like this guy better, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is. But these are not rational arguments because, to me, I've always looked at this and said, well, it's like, you know, what's the cost of completely de-risking? Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, the last thing you want, if you, if you, I mean, if you're buying or selling something that's that's um, of, of high value, the last thing you want is execution risk on the actual payment, right? I mean, yeah. you've gone through all the exactly. negotiation, all the hard bit, exactly. and at the end of the day, okay, they sent their money, and then what? Just the money disappears because the you send it to a fly by night operation that, that that is using it to pay their wages or whatever. That, you know, so it's it's ridiculous. And, and even uh, eliminating that that outlier possibility of the money disappearing, the company goes bankrupt, the company gets sued, etc. Yeah. It's like. It's exactly what you said. It's like, you know, the hard work is getting them to the finish line That's right. and just getting them to trust the payment processor uh, or, or platform. It's, it, it's like, I, I want it to be a no brainer. And I've always just felt that when I tell somebody that we're going to use escrow.com, it's abundantly apparent exactly what it is you guys do and provide. Mm. And, you know, there's a level of trust there. And so it's like, why would I want to create any more hurdles in my process? It's like my job is just is to sell the domain or, or the website. And then mm. once I get them to that point, I want it to be as seamless 
and, and thoughtless as possible. And anything else just always seemed to me to be uh, just another hurdle, like in, you know, more explaining to do, more so, getting them comfortable. So, I mean, I mean, can you imagine the damage that happens to the domain space if one of these fly-by-night operations that serves the domain industry shuts down and uh, people lose their money? People say, oh, I bought a domain name. I won't buy a domain name again because my money was lost when I tried buying yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and I just blame the domain industry. Um, there are plenty of examples in the financial security space of companies, very, very, very large companies that have fallen over um, and um, the funds that have been held ostensibly for securities um, uh, actually um, is, is, is clarifying the, the actual operating debts of the company. Uh, there was a big CFD provider uh, that went that went under uh, many years ago, I think around the time of the, of the global financial crisis. Uh, in Australia, we had a bunch of sh uh, um, uh, stockbrokers that did this. Um, you know, the stockbrokers that, you know, you'd, you'd buy stocks through them and they'll give you high um, LVRs, you know, so you could leverage up. Uh, but the, the way they could do that is they held everything, in the, all the money in the big pool and they could kind of, everyone could kind of, um, anyone's money could be pay, used to pay off anyone else's money and they, they couldn't they couldn't settle one day and the whole thing fell over. And I actually yeah. uh, I actually know a guy in Australia who's a CEO who um, borrowed money against his own stock to buy more stock. And because that company fell over, his company was going great. He lost everything. Everything he'd ever worked for was just gone overnight through no fault of his own. It just, just, you know, the, 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 the broker he used uh, just, just um, was using money to pay out other, other people's debts. So yeah. um, that could very well happen with some of these small operations that aren't regulated. So. That's really scary. And on the user end, you know, um, we're coming in with a domain background, which is already an intangible asset. Um, and so escrow's business, how much is, you know, um, a service, how much is an intangible asset? And then you also do escrow for things like eBay's used cars, right? Right. So we, we do things like boats, cars, airplanes, jewelry, gemstones, diamonds, artwork, zebras, you know, uh, <laughs> shipping, shipping containers of, of, of like alfalfa from the U.S. to China. Um, uh, I think I saw a mineral rights um, uh, go through just recently. So, so you know, mining rights over land. Um, we do. We've secured. I think manganese down a railroad in uh, in Africa. Um, what is that? Uh, manganese shipment down a down oh, a railroad. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they couldn't get they couldn't get the they couldn't get insurance for part of the right. um, the tra uh, uh, part of the um, the transport. So they put put money to escrow uh, instead. Um, you know, surrogacy agreements. Uh, you know, um, there's a uh, one of the um, content um, um, aggregators for um, Amazon uh, uses us to um, pay out the studios when they produce content. Um, there's a space station that might get off the ground in 2021 called Aurora, Aurora for, by Orion Span. It's um, it's a $10 million a ticket, and we're taking deposits for that already. Um, so anything that's complicated, expensive, um, yeah, we do it. So I have a question. In a different life, I was in the fish business, as yep. many of our audience knows. And, you know, we used to ship, we, we were, our, 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 everybody thought that we were this like huge company in New Bedford, Massachusetts with boats and manufacturing plant. But actually we were a few folks sitting in office, much like Media Options is today. Instead of trading domains, we were trading container loads of, of frozen fish, mostly scallops actually. And we were, our primary function, even though we bought a lot of local seafood and, and exported it or repacked it, white labeled it, et cetera, what our, our primary, uh, let's say niche or, or competitive advantage was that we were like the largest importer of Japanese scallops, 
one of a you know huge importer of Chinese scallops, and and probably the biggest importer of Peruvian and Chilean scallops. And the way that we, I mean, it's, uh, very few. We had maybe two relationships where we had been doing business long enough where we actually just trusted these folks who, you know, we paid them fifty percent and then fifty percent upon receipt. But for the most part, these were not folks that you could trust. I mean, in the fish mm. business, to be honest with you, it's like. Uh, it's actually, I attribute a lot of it to my success in the domain business because I was dealing with some of the worst human beings on the planet. Like, <laughs> these people are literally out to cut your throat at any given opportunity they can. And yeah. it's just a commonly accepted principle in that business. And you one operate time, under that. One sense. time Drew was trying to explain that to me and he was like, no, no, Tess, they'll harpoon your boat. They do. <laughs> they'll harpoon your boat so they get there first and, and their catch is more valuable. I mean, yeah. Wow. It, it, it's a it's a it's a crazy business. So, but the point is, like, we use um, uh, you know bank letter of credit for the most part to settle a lot of these things. And it seems to me that escrow.com could serve the same function and probably easier and faster uh, and cheaper. It does. It, it, how? But so my 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 question is, how do you verify that? So I buy. Uh, a 40-foot container of frozen scallops in Japan, mm -hmm. and that shipment leaves Japan. You've got a bill of lading, mm -hmm. and they send me the bill of lading. And you know, usually we would pay upon receipt of the bill of lading. Mm -hmm. Containers on the water, you know, they can't recall it. And then you know, but the issue was that it could arrive, and it could be a container full of carpet shavings, which mm -hmm. literally happened to us once. And um, yeah, and so. How do you, so that container arrives to me. Now, let's say that I've put the money into escrow.com. Container yep. arrives to me. How do I, how do you verify that we've received what was paid for? Well, there's an inspection period and you can put whatever you want in the contract, right? So you can upload a custom contract that you have between mm -hmm. um, your supplier and yourself. And then mm -hmm. you'll have a, you have a time period to do an inspection. And then um, you can have provision of the contract for a post-sale inspection, uh, a post-sale adjustment. So once the, once the container arrives, you can inspect it. You can say it's not up to quality, and then whatever you've got, you, know, you can set up for whatever industry you're in. You can do instant adjustment. Maybe you're buying widgets, and you say, okay, the defect rate can be one percent, but if it's higher than one percent, you're going to probably be a credit against, uh, you know, what are the excess defects. So it's really yeah. up to you, and whatever whatever is tailored for your industry, and industry by industry by industry, it's going to be different. So, for example, when people sell an aeroplane, uh, they typically mm -hmm. will fly it to the location. They'll negotiate the price, put the funds yeah. into escrow, they'll fly it to location. And then they'll do an inspection and there'll be a post-sale adjustment um, or post-transaction um, uh, adjustment uh, at the end. So um, it, it, it's really up to you. You can, you can upload a custom, custom contract, put anything in it. And how do you avoid becoming an arbitrator? Like how do you avoid having to settle well, the dispute? Well, you, the arbitration you can do through the through third parties. So we, we use things third like NetArb yeah. Yeah, Net, Net arbitration or uh, we, can, we can file something in the local court in um, Santa Clara and um, get a judgment and something. If it's, yeah. if it's something expensive and, and, and valuable and you want to get a, a proper judicial examination of what's going on. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And, and so for physical goods like that, is the, the rate more or less what it is in domains or what is? In terms of the pricing? Yeah. Uh, it really depends on volume. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, for commercial customers, you know, 89 basis points or better, usually that sort of volume. So okay. but it, all depend, it all depends on the industry and what it is. I mean, different um, assets have different risk profiles. 
you know, if you've got a if you've got a car or you've got a, an airplane, you know what it is. There's a there's a VIN number or you know, yeah, not a lot of know, variables. Yeah, it's it's in a registry somewhere. You know where it is. It's physical. It's yeah. hard for it to go disappear. You know, if it's yeah. if it's something like um, more intangible, um, you know, the, the, the software or whatever, it can be a bit more complicated because you just, yeah, it's tricky. You know, so the pricing does does vary depending on what you're actually selling. Yeah. Okay. So you see all these fascinating transactions on the back end, um, mm -hmm. including uh, with domain names. Um, yes. what, what percentage of escrow's total revenues are from domain names? It's quite a lot. Um, it's over half. I haven't got the number exactly in front of me, but it's 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 a fair bit. So I think in this report, what, what did we report here for Q1? Wait. Uh, I, yeah, I think we did about. I think we did about. Uh, what was it? To do uh, 85 million in the first quarter um, for yeah, uh, like domains. I think our total volume was about 150. So about so yeah. over half. That's a significant portion yeah. of escrow's business. Were you yes. aware of the domain industry before acquiring escrow? I was. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that the escrow is you know, so big in domain names. Um, you know, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because it's almost like an ideal asset to to, to sell through through escrow, yeah. right? You, you know, you buy a domain for a million bucks. Who you're going to send the money? Who you're going to send the password? Who, who goes first? You need to have a trusted third party in the middle. Um, uh, you know, we are rapidly building out tools and um, enhancements to uh, the product to um, diversify out of domain names. So we've just signed a bunch of um, very large car marketplaces in North America. Um, you know, we've gone to aircraft marketplaces, we're going to commodity marketplaces and so forth. So that we are rapidly um, expanding into a whole bunch of different areas. And we're also building um, um, industry by industry specific um, offerings um, for those industries. So, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot, lot to go. It's a very big space. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, in the world, in the world of international trade and commerce, there's a, you know, this yeah. is a, a wonderful payment system. Um, and um, there's so many different places you can take it. Hmm. Um, so with, I'm curious about with domain names, um, you know, I can't think of someone better positioned than you, Matt, to advise um, the domain industry really as a whole. You see all the transactions on the back end. You have um, such an expansive knowledge as an entrepreneur. Um, you're very forward thinking. Where do you see missed opportunities? It, um, where do you, where would you do things differently in the domain industry? Um, I know that you know you don't have plans because of your positioning in escrow um, to come in and and take over the domain space. But what would what would you do um, if if you if you could or or would? Well, Andrew and I have had actually a couple of conversations around this. I mean, I think that. Domain names are really virtual real estate, right? And that's kind of where we get to with the title of this um, this uh, quarterly report that we publish. And so I think that uh, all the infrastructure you see around real estate in the real world, you're probably going to end up seeing in the in the virtual world. So, for example, um, you know, we've we started doing sort of domain name holding uh, transactions a little while ago, which was you know, allows you to kind of um, uh, lease to buy um, a, a domain. You know, at some point, um, you know, I'd like to offer, you know, the ability to finance a domain name purchase. So, um, you know, you want to buy a domain, you can't afford it, we can offer financing, just you, just like you go buy a car or you go buy a house and get a home loan or a car loan uh, and so on. And I'm sure there's going to be a whole bunch of, you know, niche industries popping up around that provide all the different ancillary services you have uh, in, the, in the physical space um, for real estate. Um, 
One yeah. of the products that I've always thought would be a natural fit for, for you guys uh, would be an insurance product. And yeah. like it, it, it's killed me that there's never been insurance for domain names because it would open up so many opportunities. And it seems like you guys are like uniquely suited for that. Uh, you know, even if you added it, it's like, it's like when you're booking a flight ticket, it's like, oh, do you want travel insurance? You know, you're setting up an escrow transaction. It's like, do you want to insure this? Right. And I, I feel like because of the volume that you're doing, it could be so cheap and a really effective product, uh, probably a great revenue stream actually, but what would you, what would you insure? So, um, fitness, basically fitness. So, um, well, there's two things that you can insure. One is, is, is theft. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so you're insuring the title basically like uh, mm -hmm. uh, title insurance. And the second thing is, is fitness. So meaning that, uh, uh, you know, we're transacting a very, very, probably one of the most valuable domains in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is going to end up on your platform any day now, in the next mm -hmm. seven or 10 days. Okay. And the biggest concern that the buyer has, um, and this is something that, that very few people, uh, even at the highest levels in the domain market are, are, are even thinking about, is the fitness of this domain for its perceived purpose. Right. And when I say fitness, I'm primarily talking about SEO and Google. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. does, you know, what is it, what is the link profile on this domain look like? And these are, uh, uh, you know, it, it, what if there's a probability that this domain will actually be able to perform in search engines or is it going to have mm -hmm. some hidden, you know, there was a great article uh, about girlfriend.com, which is a domain that we brokered actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there was an article about, uh, I think it was SEO journal or uh, I don't remember which one and talking about, you know, they, they've spent three years, I think, uh, you know, building this thing out and they put a ton of money into it and they're very competent, you know, folks in the SEO world who are, who are doing this and they can't get it to rank even for their own brand name. And there's no warnings in Google. There's no, um, you know, uh, there's no apparent reason. And again, these are very competent folks. And so they went onto the webmaster forum with, uh, I forget what his name is, the head of SEO for- Matt Cutts. Replaced Matt Cutts. Well, he replaced Matt Cutts. Yeah. Um, and John, John Mueller. Yeah, exactly. John Mueller. Yeah, this is on Search Engine Journal. Yeah, and so, you know, they're talking about this, this issue and it was like, uh, even he was stumped. He was like, okay. Uh, and in the end, he was very skeptical, like, oh, you must be doing something wrong. And in the end, this, the, the conclusion was, oh, you know what? You're right. There must be something here, you know, with Google uh, that is preventing you from ranking. And it's not something that we're showing publicly. And in the end, it, it looks like you must have had to do something with the fact that it was an adult site back in the day. And they probably like internally flagged this domain as adult. And so they won't let it rank for anything that is not adult. I'm not and, sure how the, I know how someone could price the risk on that. That's all. Well, so I think what's interesting is that I, I, I think it can be done. And the reason is most of the inputs. Now, this is a unique situation, right? Where there's this hidden, um, you know, uh, penalty or something. Domain that yeah. nobody, exactly. Nobody, nobody can become aware of. But I think that it could easily be done by you guys. If you had like, uh, you know, a DNS record, you, ins you, you, you insert a DNS record that allows, um, you know, you guys have access to um, Google Webmaster or, you know, whatever. And you can see whether or not there's any uh, penalties or warnings on the back end. You can pull in data from things like AREFs and um, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? SEO mods for, um, 
you know, looking at their link profiles, seeing if there's spammy links, seeing if there's links coming from, um, you know, uh, link farms and, and things of that nature. You know, there are, you know, there's pretty clear indicators for, for probably 95% of the, of the things that would lead to a, a non-fitness situation. And um, uh, I think most of that is publicly available data. Yeah, it seems to me that I think that'd be something very, very difficult for an insurance company to price. I mean, surely they could probably price the, the theft risk. On mm -hmm. this, what, what probably, it probably be better suited um, with a, like some sort of indemnity basket where um, mm -hmm. you, know, you purchase the domain and there's like a holdback and we hold the holdback in escrow for a period of time. Um, and, you know, there's some sort of adjustment that happens if, if there's a problem with the domain. Right, like mm -hmm. a, almost like an earnout, like you know, like there's a some sort of yeah. you know, twelve month twelve month indemnification agreement that you know we can do something rather. I'm not I'm not sure exactly how you structure structure that, but um, that's my general feeling. I think if you went to an insurance company and tried to get them to price it, it would they throw their hands in the air. And the other thing is for us to offer insurance directly. I think there's another whole set of fifty two licenses we'd have to get to do insurance. So, so that's the, I mean, the problem with freelancer, for example. Like we want to offer um. We want, to offer, we want to offer healthcare and um, you know, chargeback insurance, and a whole bunch of things on, on, on Freelancer. But the problem is um, when you go to a third party healthcare provider, they operate in one country. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to sign up to you know, 185 of these things. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Offer. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, this was a very interesting conversation exploring. Um, opportunities escrow.com may have in the domain space but Matt I really want to know what opportunities do you see in um, within the domain industry or industry segments they operate in where um, from your back-end knowledge are you noticing um, things that you would do differently in the domain space well, I think as a whole, I mean, even though there's been tremendous appreciation in domain names, I think the whole industry is tremendously underpriced, right? Yeah. Um, you know, totally. like you want to buy a shop front anywhere, right? What's a building going to cost you to buy a shop front, right? Yeah. And then if, then if you objectively measure the, the foot traffic that goes past that shop front, and mind you, that's in one locality in one location somewhere in the world, whatever, and you compare that to the traffic you can get on the internet from people anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. And the ability to scale up foot traffic. I mean, a, a shop front, you've got limited capacity in terms of the number of customers that be inside the store. Yeah. Right? And then, then, you, then you just buy another, build a bigger store, get more, you know, more space, right? You know, with the domain, you've got infinite capacity, right? So, you know, you, you just do the comparison on it. And the, the main industry is just going to go up and up and up and up and up, right? Like, um, you know. So, so I, I agree with you a thousand percent. And in my opinion, what holds us back is the fact that there's no agreeable, you know, agreed upon framework for valuing a domain. And I think that like, so, you know, you, you mentioned the comparison to real estate and that many of the mechanisms around uh, commercial real estate will be adopted into the domain space. And I think that literally like insurance, like financing, like, you know, third party financing, like, um, uh, you know, lease to own, um, uh, you know, all of these things. I think the one hurdle that, that we're, we're, we haven't overcome is an agreed upon framework for how to value a domain name. That's an interesting effect. Hey, Adeline, can you please have a again? Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, just, just you're the cleaner. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
so I, I don't know, you know, we're working on some things on our end, uh, you know, how to address that, but, uh, but I'd be interested to hear, you know, how you think we could address that. But I think that that's really the thing that's holding us back from achieving, you know, capturing, uh, well, I like to say bringing price closer to value, right? Because I think mm -hmm. you and I both agree that the enterprise value of these domains is like exponentially higher than what it is. I, I would say probably 10x. And, and I say that because, you know, you look at something exactly the analogy you were giving. I like to use Tiffany's. And Tiffany's, I, I forget the number, but I think it's like they pay $18 million a month or something for their, um, their flagship store on Fifth Avenue in New York. And um, Cass, don't even correct me if I'm wrong, please. <laughs> and, um, but, but whatever, it's an absurd number. And it's one store, one location, and most of that foot traffic is just tourists and tire kickers. Yeah. And I'm sure the, the, the store does good numbers, but they're losing money hand over fist on that, on that store. And, you know, they look at it and they say, well, but it's, it's marketing and advertising. It enhances our brand. Yeah. Well, does it enhance your brand as much as owning diamond.com would, right? Which is global offers, you know, an incredible amount of, of trust and, 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 you know, signifies luxury. And it's like, you know, a diamond is a girl's best friend. I mean, how do you take something like a diamond is a girl's best friend and, and, and you know, which was the beers, and if you're Tiffany's, how do you create something that is equally as powerful and global? Well, you just say, if you own diamond.com and you want every person who buys a wedding ring for their fiance to buy a Tiffany diamond ring, well, you know, owning diamond.com, I think helps you get there. Mm. Uh, but they would, you know, and we've spoken to Tiffany's, we're trying to sell diamond.com as we speak. And it's like, you know, all the big companies, the low hanging fruit, they, they don't get it. They say, oh, but we're already synonymous with diamonds. Well, how can you be synonymous with diamonds when your competitor just told me they're synonymous with diamonds? And the other guy over here thinks he's synonymous with diamonds. And they're all, they're, and they're all, buy, and they're all buying from the same mines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> How do you differentiate? Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is I think the people who are going to buy diamond.com are going to be people making synthetic diamonds, which is, I think, oh, wow. great. That, I well, think that was, that's great. Well, that, I mean, that was certainly uh, put, the, put the cat amongst the pigeons, right? I mean, like you, you had the chance to own the space and now exactly. you're going to be disrupted, right? But isn't that a common theme? Don't we, don't we see that like always? It's like everybody yeah. thinks that they're comfortable and no, we don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. Yeah. We're, we're the, you know, we're, we're the Goliath. And then David comes along with a better plan. And Well, I did that with freelancer.com. I did that with the domain yeah. for freelancer.com. So, I mean, we were called Get a Freelancer uh, yeah. originally when I bought the first business. And um you know, I was happy with that name. I, you know, I said, where you're from, I can get a freelancer. People understand that you get a freelancer, right? Mm -hmm. And um, Simon, who gave me the original money to buy the business, said to me, why don't you buy freelancer.com, the domain name? And I thought, oh, do I really have to? I mean, a rose is by any other name, still a rose. You know, why should I change the name? And I thought, you know, it'd be weird. I kind of walk in and go, where are you from? I'm from freelancer. And it's like, okay, what, what does that mean? Right? Like, it's pretty abstract. Are you a freelance photographer? Even... Even say when I go to conferences, sometimes it's quite funny. They, I get my um, my little name tag and say, "Oh, who do you freelance for?" It's like, <laughs> 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 right? Um, yeah. And so, um, but but the, the I thought about it and I thought, well, what, you know, Simon said, "What happens if someone else gets it?" And I thought, well, I will be forever subordinated, exactly. like permanently. Exactly. Yeah, we, we will be get a freelancer, and they will be freelancer, and we will be permanently subordinated, right? Yep. With, a, with a with a second or third class brand. 
And I didn't realize until, you know, until I bought it that, you know, you know, someone meets someone on the street. Hey, did you know you can hire a freelancer to do a particular job for you? And they go home and go, what's the name of the company again? E-desk, something or other. They type in freelancer into Google. We were like one, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Front page of Google. And then the journalists remember it. The customers remember it. Everyone remembers it. You're the canonical industry defining name, brand, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, Tiffany has been nuts not to buy diamond.com. And once it's gone, it's gone forever. Forever. That's it. You know, once it's sold, it's off the market forever. Gone. And, and it's and, like, and, it, how can you be so short-sighted to think, well, okay, here we are today. I've got my budget. I've got my pipeline. I've got my plans. I've got these projects I'm working on. And I say, you know, oh, wow, diamond.com, it's on the market. And I'm like, well, okay, doesn't fit in my budget. Doesn't fit into my pipeline. Doesn't fit into my plans right now. But let's look forward to the next 10 years. Are you really confident that over the next 10 years, Tiffany's isn't going to, you know, somebody at Tiffany's is going to say, oh, you know what would be perfect right now is diamond.com. I mean, I, I, it's like we, we look at the growth of, of, you know, brick and mortar retail and it's like mm. this. And mm. you look at the growth of, of digital retail and it's like, you know, hockey stick. And it's like over the next 10 years, you don't think this is going to be a valuable asset for your pipeline, for your, you know, it, it, it won't make your budget even more efficient and effective. But, you know. I just typed in how to buy a diamond into Google. Number one is Hardy Brothers. Number two is Lumero Diamonds. Diamonds.pro, Blue Nile, Choice, American Gem Society, WikiHow, Brilliance.com. Tiffany's is not even on the, it's not even there. Nope. On the right hand side, there's someone selling it. Uh, there's Tiffany's in like a sponsored marketplace sort of thing. Yeah. It's what, they're like two, three, five, if here's five times. But down the main search results, it's not there. Unbelievable. And there's so much assumption of dominance in so many industries. And when they don't um, integrate um, bringing in clients who aren't already um, connected to a particular brand, when they mm. don't bring in that, um, the generic or the exact match um, from that end, it's, it's, it's not that, you know, Anyone would recommend that Tiffany's rebrand as diamond.com. But if you are synonymous with it, here's, you know, here's a way to really do that and to prevent disruption. Um, now, Matt, do so, you, go ahead. I had, before we leave that conversation, if, we, if that's where you're going, I don't know. I have two points, like, you know, things, let's say innovations in the domain space that I wanted your thoughts on. Mm -hmm. So one is deal structure and, uh, the, you know, sort of innovation of, of the typical deal structure. And, and if you see any trend that supports what I believe should be the where we're headed. And so that's what I think is the most interesting, let's say deal structure innovation should be or would be uh, one of two things, either the least to own, which I feel like we're seeing not, it's not, you know, we're not seeing hockey stick growth in that, in that section, but we're seeing more deal flow happening on either um, owner finance or more likely a, a lease to own structure where there's, you know, somebody pays a, a deposit for a option to buy at a fixed price. Maybe mm -hmm. that fixed price escalates over time, but it's, you know, you've got some path to ownership and then there's a lease component which allows you to use the domain. And this is a great structure because it avoids the risk of bankruptcy for the domain owner. Mm -hmm. If the entity you're, you're, you're providing the domain to, you know, goes bankrupt, where if you're just doing straight owner financing, um, you run the risk of, okay, 
this guy's paid 40% of the domain value, um, you know, declares bankruptcy, and now your domain is just, you know, uh, for the assignment of creditors. And um, second is more of a venture capital approach to domain, uh, domain sales, which is um, like maybe there's a uh, option to buy, you know, maybe it's structured like a, a, a lease to own, what I just mentioned, but um, the purchase price is either convertible debt or it's like a call option. So at the domain owners, uh, maybe it's, you know, both parties have to agree or maybe it's at the domain owners um, will, but they have basically a call option on equity at whatever the, the, the valuation would be at that time or the last um, completed you know, valuation round. Uh, and it's like, you know, we've got XYZ.com and uh, we sell it. It's a you know, million dollars. You're paying $5,000 a month for a, uh, you know, for a lease. Uh, you've paid, uh, you know, some maybe $50,000 or $100,000, you know, for your option to buy. And, um, you know, two years in, you've gone out, you've raised some venture capital, you're not quite ready to buy out the domain. Uh, I, as a domain owner, think that you are, you know, a really attractive, uh, you know, on a really attractive growth path. And I said, well, I'd like to convert my million dollar purchase option or some portion of it into equity in your next, you know, uh, fundraising round. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that this, to me, seems like the best way for domain owners to capture some of that enterprise value. Now, to me, the biggest hurdle to that is two things, which is understanding domain value, right? And mm -hmm. the, the, the wider public understanding domain value. And the second is that domain investors, uh, squatters, as the, the wider market likes to call us, we have a bad reputation with people and they don't necessarily want us on the cap table. Mm -hmm. So as somebody who is intimately familiar with the domain industry, more intimate than probably 99.9% .9 of people in the industry, um, and somebody who is in the startup world, in the corporate world, uh, what are your thoughts on that subject? You know, you think you've got a unique I think, I think, I think, I think they make a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think one of the best investments I've ever made in freelancer was getting the name, freelancer.com, right? It really yeah. just gave us... It, it, I mean, it is so much more powerful than sticking the money into marketing. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like you yeah. forever, you forever have the premium brand. In fact, one of the competitors had to stop using the word freelancer for many years. They called them uh, contractors, but my mum thinks contractors <laughs> build bridges, right? So you had, yeah, whole yeah, yeah. you had a whole competitor got confused, had to change the whole terminology because every time they talked about freelancers, they drove more traffic to us. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that's, 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 that's how powerful having the premium the canonical name is for an industry yep. right? the premium search term they've run time killer. yeah it's just game over you know in terms of yep. journalist recall you know customer recall it's just it's, it's such a free word, kick, word of right? mouth marketing the most word of mouth so, marketing the most powerful marketing in the world yeah so i think those things will make sense and these are these are all things i think that naturally will, will, will come into the industry i think the first thing you need to have that is good data so there needs to be you know a long track record of data where people can see okay these domain prices are fairly stable they do appreciate over time it's not mm -hmm. like Bitcoin, it's like Bitcoin where it's kind of up, down, up, down, up, down, yo-yo, altcoin, you know, whatever. So um, that's what we're trying to do with these quarterly reports is, you know, we're, we're best positioned in, in the world pretty much to release uh, this data because we've got, you know, 20 years of data quarter by quarter of what, what's happened, right? Four-letter domains, keyword domains, you know, six-letter domains, et cetera. And so 
if there's good data out there, then that means that other um, actors might be prepared to come in and do things like provide financing because mm -hmm. you know, they know that, wow, okay, what's, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm gonna offer you know, a billion dollars um, for domain financing, you wanna make sure that if the domain name prices is not gonna crash to zero, right? And to do that, you show 20 years of history, stable, slow, stable growth. Uh, as we showed in the report, that you know, it is in, in the very, very first report, we did a um, survey looking at bonds, stocks, real estate, physical real estate. Mm -hmm. And we showed it was better than physical real estate. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly a lot less to main, uh, maintenance. Right? You're paying, what, mm -hmm. seven bucks? How much do you pay? Seven bucks a year? Yeah, it's like unbelievable. Right, uh, compared to, you know, council rates and, uh, you know, repairs and, Property you know, uh, electricity and, you know, all the other, you know, um, yeah. stuff you got to pay. Um, Taxes. Uh, and, yeah. Property yeah, exactly. Taxes, property insurance, broken pipes, broken stove. Exactly. So if you can see, now you can't can, even keep the electricity on. Automatic automatic lighting goes off after after a while. But um, but yeah, if you've got the data out there, then you've got another financial number of financial players that might come in and go, "Hang on, you know, this this is actually a pretty phenomenal industry. It behaves just like mm -hmm. real estate, but it's better, right? Because mm -hmm. it's got mm -hmm. uncapped uncapped ability to grow pretty much. You're only capped by the size of the world population, right? Yep. Uh, you know, global global customers, and you know, maybe we are prepared to you know prefer to lend to a you know to, for a domain name purchase than a, than a physical real than physical real estate, mm -hmm. right? Because you know, um, what's the loss given default, right? Well, if if someone defaults on a on a domain name um, lease, well, the, the domain just sits in our escrow account. You got the domain back instantly, like within within seconds. Here's the domain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then you just have to look at well, is the pricing stable? What's the resale value? What's the what's the LBRs we're prepared to offer on that domain? Right. So you know, uh, you know, I think this is all going to come in a big way, and I think I think it's going to really boom, be a boom to the space. I mean, I'm seeing now houses in Hong Kong there are for sale for three hundred and sixty million dollars, US. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, in, in Australia, I mean, we'd never sold a house above twenty million bucks until two thousand and two, but now. This, uh, you know, a friend of mine bought a house for $100 million, then I bought for $73 million. You know, my area is $20 million houses, right? I mean, yeah. domain, names are, domain names generally aren't even close to that yet, right? And yeah. um, we're seeing, a, seeing some stuff to go through in that price range, but, um, but you know, it's just going to be natural. So Matt, you mentioned that escrow um, about, you know, a large portion of your business is domains, but you're mm -hmm. working to really expand beyond domains. But yes. do quarterly reports, does escrow issue a quarterly report for any other industry besides domains? This no, we no, no, we don't. Okay. And you just started, um, you mentioned that the first report, you know, looked at stocks and bonds and domains altogether. Yep. That was just this January, 2019 was your first quarterly report. And now that'll be moving forward. Is that, um, part of a plan to grow the domain business? Um, yeah, so we, we, we just issued the second report. So the first report was quite detailed and went through and looked through the history of, of all those ethic classes. And then we did the first quarter's update for that uh, just in mm -hmm. March. Um, uh, we actually are in the process of, I literally introduced someone today to um, come on as marketing manager to actually look at some of the other industry verticals and what, what we need to do to target them. So there's a, there's a lot we can do targeting, um, you know, the vehicle markets, you know, the art, art yeah. market, you know, the, the um, developers using the API that we've got, you know, which allows you to kind of integrate escrow as easy as PayPal. Um, and, and also broadly, uh, more broadly, the consumer market and just how, how we can get educate people, you know, never buy or sell anything online unless you use escrow.com. So uh, that's something we're, we're going to embark on doing pretty, pretty, pretty soon.
Nice. Where, you know, as a serial entrepreneur and a business builder, where do you see low hanging fruit in the domain industry? Oh, outside of your niche in escrow, outside. The, 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 the low hanging fruits in the pricing, I think. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, like, you know, like, um, I mean, I, I bought a domain name recently, Andrew. <laughs> I, don't forget that. I thought I got that pretty cheaply, uh, you know. Yeah. But livestock.com, I think that's going to be worth something in the future. So, um, yeah. but pricing is just so, you know, so cheap still. Hmm. But, you, you know, it, it's such a perfect example because it's like, okay, livestock.com. You're talking about a category killer name for one of the largest industries on the planet. Mm. And it's like, if you are the platform by which even 1% of that market transacts, uh, which, it, you know, it seems like a natural thing. It's like, oh, just, you know, take escrow.com and white label it onto livestock.com and just be like, you know, the platform mm. for transacting livestock. Yeah. And it's like, what is that market worth? And it's yeah. so big. And then you say, okay, uh, you know, to be fair, you know, we went out, we marketed livestock.com and, and, and many of the, the existing players, just like I said with diamond.com, it's like, they don't get it. They don't, why do I need livestock? And particularly in livestock because, you know, it's, a, it's an old industry like seafood. And, but when you just take a step back and you say, okay, uh, what is the value of just transacting? A, 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 tiny little part of that market here on this platform what's the enterprise value of this domain and it's it's so many multiples uh so many orders of magnitude hmm. greater than what these domains are, are selling for today uh and, and that is ultimately the value everybody likes to talk about what you know what's the value of this thing the value is we're not even talking about real value today we're not what we're talking about is price and what the price is that the market will accept. But what we got to do is bring that gap between price and value closer together. Um, I mean, what do you think yeah. is the timeline on that? Just to, you know, pull it out of thin air. What do, what do you think? Well, Five you never years? know. You, you never know because you know, think, when things get momentum, they can just take off. I mean, look at the Bitcoin yeah. price, right? I mean, if, yeah. if, if, people, if people spend cannabis stocks, you know, like, you know, like yeah. lithium stocks, right? Like you know, people, people jump on it and they think, wow, this, there's a big opportunity here. You, you, then you get a boom. Right, and then it just yep. takes off. I mean, I, 2013, the global livestock trade was 883 billion dollars. <laughs> that's, that's, that's over. It's gonna be over a trillion dollars for the, yeah. the industry, right? Trillion, yeah. right? Trillion dollars. Trillion dollars. Yeah. So one percent of no, no, no. 883 one one hundredth of a percent. Billion. I, I don't even, you know. Well, I'm right, taking right, your yeah. original here. One one percent of eight hundred eighty-three billion. Eight hundred million dollars. No, eight eight point um. Isn't eight eight point three? Eight point eight three. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Million. Mm -hmm. Not bad. Not bad. You know, today. No, 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 no. Hold on. The B. I I don't know. There are a lot of zeros. Eight eight billion. Yeah, it'd be eight. Eight billion. billion. Oh yeah, that makes eight sense. Eight billion. Eight one, billion. One percent. One percent. Okay. Yeah. Um. So my mathematical skills aren't uh so hot. Uh, who are the business leaders in the domain industry you respect the most? I don't pick favorites. <laughs> <laughs> they're all. They're all good. They're all good. I can't pick favorites. Um. You know, well, they're not all good. 
I, mean, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> to fun. But yeah, you know, it's a difficult. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen exchanged over escrow? Uh, well, uh, oh God, like surrogacy agreements. Like if you have a baby for someone in the US, which is legal to, to, oh. to do that um, and, and pay for that. Um, you know, you'll have like fetal heartbeat, we'll get a payment and then fetal heartbeat plus one month, we'll get a payment and two months. Because if, if you're carrying someone's child and you've been, there's a sur surrogate and you've been paid for it, you, if you, if you miscarry, yeah, you're not, you, might, you won't get paid. And you've been through yeah. all that, you know, you know, wow, you know, have a tough job, but uh, you want to make sure you get paid, right? So yeah. there's things like that that go through, um, you know, livestock, for example, um, you know, it's complicated to move livestock around the world. You need to make sure it arrives alive and your quarantine documents, the shipping documents and so forth. That, that can be complicated. I mean, this space station, um, Aurora, they're talking about, they're selling tickets for 10 million bucks a seat. Um, you know, it's going through escrow. Um, yeah. As we speak, you could put down a deposit of $80,000 right now for that, um, which would be interesting. World's first luxury space hotel. Right? Do you, you guys want to go? Um, um, I'll go after 10,000 people come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Then I'll, then I'll buy a ticket. I'll buy the 10,000 first ticket, provided there's been no accidents along the way. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, what's the highest ticket that's ever gone through escrow.com? Um, I believe it's about 25 million. Can you tell us what it was? I think it was a portfolio of domains. All right, domains, winning nice. it again. I'd have um, to ask Jackson on that one to get, to get precise. I'm pretty sure it's about 25. Okay. All right. Yeah. And do you think escrow will, uh, do you have plans to accept uh, Bitcoin, crypto? Never. <laughs> Never. I, Never I was is a big word. Never is a big word. I'll, I'll accept Fedcoin when the Federal Reserve releases Fedcoin. But other than that, I will not accept crypto. And the, re the reason why I simply, I mean, I was an adjunct uh, associate professor of cryptography for 14 years. So this is what I taught in, in yeah. class. But the problem is governments hate it because governments don't want to lose control of the money supply, right? And um, you, you know, if you start a Bitcoin company, you can't open a bank account. They won't let you, right? Like, I, you know, I know there's a Bitcoin startup in town that's open, it's up to their 50th bank account, right? And, you know, the, you, you just can't do it. I mean, the regulators don't like it. Um, you know, you become a, a magnet for hacking, right? Uh, like a complete magnet. I mean, all software's buggy, all, all software's buggy and the bigger the software, the more buggy it is. Right, so you know, you know, these exchanges, you know, they wake up and day all the, all the money's missing. You know, there's, I, no one really knows how much volume is really going through the cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, uh, there's a Wall Street Journal report that came out just recently saying actually it's ninety percent lower than everyone thinks it is. It's just people would, you know, pain you a take and so forth. So I don't know the whole, the whole industry. I mean, it, I can't buy my groceries with it. I can't pay my rent with it. So why would I buy it? You can. You can. Uh, Whole Foods through a third-party intermediary now. Let you. Yeah, yeah, I know. You can buy a, a card that doesn't work. But like, yeah, I'm not going to touch it. Um, it's just too hard. And mm. yeah, it's too much trouble. It puts a target on your back. I mean, the, 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 I think what will happen ultimately is the Federal Reserve will come out with Fedcoin. There'll be some sort of digital uh, cryptocurrency, probably, probably not crypto, probably a digital currency that the yeah. US will issue. Um, because, you know, governments ultimately, I think, will like digital currencies because you can tax them in real time and uh, do all sorts of things like that. Yeah, you um, can't avoid it, taxes. You, it, exactly. You follow the money all the way around. Everywhere Pay as you go. Every time you do a transaction, yeah. the sales tax goes straight straight in, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I think something like that will happen. And then you know, if, 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 if the US government releases a coin, we'll support it. Um, but 
you know, and there'll always be like a Bitcoin around forever from here on in to do all sorts of nefarious transactions, but we don't want to have anything to do with that sort of thing. So it's just too difficult. I, don't, I just don't think it's necessary. And look, anyone, anyone, frankly, that's holding a million bucks in Bitcoin right now, you probably should sell it like <laughs> buy some gold or something. I don't know. <laughs> or to buy a domain, swap, swap, swap it for a domain name quickly. <laughs> <laughs> what, it, what does your domain investment portfolio look like in, um, in relation to the rest of your investment portfolio and just in general? Um, I've got a bunch of really good domains. I don't really want to talk about them because um, we haven't publicly um, disclosed um, the names that we have because they may be future businesses that we start. I just don't want to um, you know, preempt anything in the market. But um, you know, I've got probably oh, 30 pretty high quality domains, I think, uh, that we've bought over time uh, in key, key segments that I think are big future areas for the business to go into. Um, uh, and we just have to, you know, some of them have been sitting on for years. We just have to kind of, you know, get enough um, resources together to be able to go and start something serious in some of those segments. Okay. And, and just um, as a show of support, I've seen a few of these names. And I mean, either Matt personally or through the company owned some, some really lights out, phenomenal, you know, hmm. bang on uh, keyword domains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was lucky, right? Uh, and early. And uh, yeah. you know, some of those names I got for a great price. I tried doing it now, there'd be a zero already on the end of them, right? So, yeah. yeah. So uh, pretty heavily, uh, you prefer keyword domains, exact match domains. You know, I've heard you say livestock.com, freelancer.com, escrow.com, and I heard Andrew say keyword. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do like the canonical um, search term used to define the industry. Right, I think that they, they are just the absolute killer um, domain name uh, to have. Um, you just you just define the whole industry. I, I just can't think of a way to better associate your brand with the industry that you target. You know, it's like, isn't that what branding is? Isn't that what, what marketing, isn't that what the task of marketing is like to say, okay, we're Tiffany's. Let's say, you know, Tiffany's day one. We're Tiffany's and we want to go out and, you know, we've, We've decided who we are. We've got this ethos and we want to go out to the market and teach them who we are so that when they go to make a purchase decision, they associate us with that item. How can you better associate your brand to the market that you're in than owning the category killing domain? I, 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 think, I, I, think, I think it's twofold. I think, it, I think it's one is you want the name to be the category defining name. Number two, mm -hmm. what happens if your competitor gets it? So exactly. if, 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 a, if a synthetic diamond yeah. company gets diamond.com and every day millions of men are looking up on the internet, oh, how to buy engagement ring or how to buy, how to buy diamond uh, ring yeah. on Google and they find, oh, wow, did you know you can buy synthetic diamond just as good as Tiffany's but cheaper? Just, just No, not just as good. These, these diamonds are flawless. Yeah, are more perfect. Perfect diamonds, chemically yeah. indistinguishable from a natural diamond, yeah. chemically indistinguishable, but perfect and flawless and grown in the lab. Yeah, it just, it just, it's just, you'd be nuts not to grab it. Nuts. Yeah, yeah. So, um, with your- Send Tiffany's this video afterwards. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so with your, um, your, with escrow's quarterly report um, for the yep. domain industry, where yep. can the domain Sherpa, um, the average, you know, listener, where can they sign up to receive this, check this out? Um, yep. You just go to the homepage, escrow.com, and on the homepage is a section where you can just type in your email address and we'll, we'll email you the report. We actually are going to build a part of the site which will have all the previous reports listed. We haven't done that yet. Very um, but, yeah, but if you just go to the homepage and sign up, uh, we'll send it to you. Nice. All right. And I will make sure to have the two reports available uh, from Domain Sherpa um, as well for, you know, for our audience who's listening. If anyone hasn't read it or hasn't really sat down and extrapolated from it, uh, there, there's just no pun intended, a gold mine of information in there. So right. um, yeah, good for you, Matt. Thank you for all you do for the domain industry. I think that uh, you coming into this space has been um, a real gift to um, the domain community. And I think that these quarterly reports in particular are really going to um, continue to, uh, yeah. to grow our industry. Um, thank you for joining us here today. And uh, we're very much looking forward to uh, having you on the show again in the future. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Matt.